abyss of unawareness. If we make ourselves ignorant, if we actively delude ourselves, then we are making a terrible mistake. We rob ourselves of the clarity of truths. We miss the beauty as well as the full depth and worth of the universe. Hey folks, welcome to another week of Prison Focus. This is London on KPOO San Francisco. So happy that you guys are able to join me today. I missed you guys last week. Um, I'm actually doing this show by myself today. Um, Nube is, she's just out today and she's taking a break, much deserved break. And um, But she'll be back next week. And yeah, so... Okay, let's get centered before we start the show. It's just been a little crazy this morning, but it's okay. That's life. So when you have those little moments and unexpected, you know, whatever, it's just important to not let it just stay on you, but to take a moment, breathe in and out, get grounded, and just be in a state of gratitude. So that's what I'm doing right now, and it's all going to work out. I'm super excited about today's interview um, this person that I'm going to interview, uh, I just met him at the All of Us or None meeting, just super dope individual, just got out, just hitting the pavement running, and just has some amazing things going on, just super excited. And so I just thank you um, for joining me this week. So we're going to take a short music break, and I'll be back with him. That's just how I feel Trying to reach the things that I can't see, see. 
folks welcome back that is one of my favorite songs that another one of my favorite songs that helped me get through my time that's Nico and Vince am I wrong just so inspirational so good I just oh I just love it um so yeah hello hello hi welcome welcome to prison focus radio can you introduce yourself to our listeners hi my name is uh minister King William uh, some of my closest friends and comrades call me General Parface. Uh, I'm a delegate for the United Cash Brothers and Sisters International Union. I'm happy to be here today. Well, thank you, Minister Kane, for um, joining us here. Just short notice. And um, I was already wanting to getting you on here because I just met you on Thursday at the All of Us or None meeting. And um you just like are so inspirational you like can you tell our listeners how many uh how long you've been home uh i've been home since last tuesday last tuesday uh, oh my god welcome home yeah basically i had um you know when i was down for the last 18 years in the state Mm -hmm. you know basically strategically put me a blueprint together and i had knew what I was going to do before I got there. So I'm just pretty much trying to follow the script, follow the plan. That's super dope. So, Minister King, so uh, i like to break it down for our listeners. So you said that you did 18 years? Yeah, uh, I did time in High Desert State Prison, Corcoran State Prison, and Pelican Bay. And um, I went in in 2000 on a bank robbery, actually. Mm-hmm. During that time, you know, I was still young. I was kind of wild. I caught up in a lot of uh, prison politics. And then uh, I say 2000 and um, 2011, 2000 th- to through 2013, actually, you know, I had went to the shoe, and I fell right into the uh, hunger strike. And that's when I started understanding that, you know, the objection object being objectively subjected to this 
this this hostile environment coupled with uh, so many inmates that didn't have an ideology, didn't have a, a you know a plan of self, mm-hmm. and, and the yard itself was chaotic. Mm-hmm. So then I met a lot of brothers that was um you know had an ideology and they were politically involved with the, uh, taking down the prison industrial complex through demands, through grievance. Mm-hmm. litigation to say and then I started becoming more intrigued and I started writing articles for San Francisco Bayview prison focus and others alike and that's when I realized it crystallized okay I found my voice and it's time to get involved especially with the younger brothers on the yard and they really didn't have no no aim no focal point in life well okay this is so okay so let's just break it down let's start from the beginning Minister King if you don't mind yeah. so um you went in, you said at what year did you go into prison? 2000. I uh, landed in um, High Desert State Prison. 2000? Okay, and how old were you when you went in? I was about 20, 28. Wow. And so, can you tell our uh, listeners, like, um, you said that you went in for bank robbery. Is there things, like, how was your childhood? Like, how did you, what were... Well, I, um, I was born and raised in Oakland, California. Okay. And I uh, raised, uh, ironically, at this time, I was raised by a single parent, but except this single parent was a man. Mm-hmm. My father was William Brown Sr. And um, coming up through Oakland, it was kind of harsh. And my father, he went to prison in 1985. He got caught up in one of the first uh, drug raids, the Brown family, and, uh, in a crack crack at and I was pretty much on the street alone, literally. And one of my aunts, my aunt Ella, she took me in and she started raising me. Mm-hmm. But you know, I was kind of rebellious. They had took me down there to the Sacramento area. It was kind of foreign to me. I couldn't adjust. I got caught up in the youth authority. Went to youth authority. I was in and out prison, parole, prison, I should say. Mm-hmm. And from you- there. Mm-hmm. From there, you know, I, I kind of got the gist of uh, being a white baby. I should say I got the gist of, you know, okay, this is how it is being inside of the uh, being the youth authority, being the war. Mm-hmm. It's to the feds. I, I ended up going to the federal prison, mm-hmm. and I seen a lot of things. I seen the um, matter of fact, I seen the difference between federal and state. Mm-hmm. You know, the politics. I should say it was. It was a different, uh, uh, different class, different uh, prisoners. It was just on a whole another. It was unity. Mm-hmm. Like for example, in um, I think it was 90, 96, 90, 95 or ninety six. They had a crack law mm-hmm. uh, uh, protest because of the uh, what you what, what they call now the uh, Rockefeller law mm-hmm. when that. All the races came together. It wasn't just the brothers. It wasn't. It was. It was. It was multicultural, multiracial. It was everybody that came together. And, you know, they so was this in federal me. prison or the state prison? It was in federal prison, okay. and this was like test a protest. Uh-huh. And so once I seen that, I seen like okay, everybody centralized. They came together behind this one core issue. Mm-hmm. So we came together behind this one core issue. It felt good to see the unity of all races, all everybody promoting peace and pushing one agenda against this, this you know, the 
U.S. guidelines between Potter and crack. And then, of course, I ended up getting released, mm -hmm. and I caught the case in 2000. Mm -hmm. Although I actually wasn't guilty, I went, to, I went to trial and got found guilty. I wasn't guilty of committing the crime. Mm -hmm. I still stood. You know, I, I, I said I felt, you know, destiny is, is crazy because, you know, everything happens for a reason. I wouldn't have um, got involved with the things I got involved with had I went there. Right. You know, because I, I was kind of wild, but when I went to prison, I really got active, though, when I went to state prison. So let me ask you, uh, let me take a step back, Mr. King. You just have so many questions I have. Okay, so um, you said that you were in and out in the youth authority as, you know, a child. Do you feel like... Um, you know, one of the things right now that we're fighting right now is the juvenile system, you know. Like, I, I'm constantly wearing my shirt, you know, um, build um, no more youth prisons, build youth leaders and so forth. And it's just so sickening that um, these kids are putting into juvenile hall for just, to, you know, for the craziest things. And, and period, like, they're kids they just need love they need guidance they're they're crying out for help they uh you know these kids they didn't just wake up and and just you know just start there's there's a reason for their actions they're acting out instead of folks creating diversion groups and seeing what's going on with this um young person how can they help assist them you know this and the other the first thing that they want to do is throwing them into this juvenile hall. So do you feel like um, that played a negative part in, like, in the path that you started to take, you know, being exposed to the youth prisons? Yeah, definitely. You know, um, I think it started at home because if you're coming up in a dysfunctional environment, mm -hmm. you know, like I said earlier, I was brought up in a single-parent household, even though my father was a strong male. Uh, I think coming up in an environment like Oakland, you become a product, but it go beyond that, though. You know, it's like the framework. The framework that's there is like, you, for example, you got the, the railroad tracks by the village or anywhere else, and then you start looking. You don't understand this until later, that it's, it's environmental racism. You got the alcoholism, mm -hmm. the drugism. It's right there, so this is what you become a part of. And this your role models are drug dealers. And the biggest role model you may get is being a basketball player. So right. some of the things that we're exposed to, even in the school system, it doesn't teach you run your own conglomerate. It teaches you how to be a worker. So we get these, these mentalities of, oh, I can only do so much. I can't, can't, I can't. So when we embrace that, we just subject ourselves to become part of a system that's already uh, established for us, a framework, like I said earlier. And then once we start engaging and we go to juvenile hall, we're just another number. You go to Y from juvenile hall to the youth authority or to the camp, Jabal camp or something, and just another number. And they really don't get involved at that time when it's really, you know, that's the best time to get involved with is with the youth to see Absolutely, Mentally. absolutely. What are, you, what are the cycle politics that you 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 going on with at home, or you know, do 
you have alcoholism? Also, do you have two parents? Right. What could I do? How are you with the skills? And I feel like even at the um, juvenile level, they should learn. They should learn their rights. They should learn the law. They should learn how to, you know, how to cook for themselves, and you know, the, how to, how to obtain basic necessities outside of the, uh, getting involved with gangs and whatnot. So yeah, I understand the uh, two sixty, two sixty one. You know, I've, I've been an uh, activist for that, too, for some of the brothers that was incarcerated and um, behind the walls. I was helping them do petitions so they they were able to obtain um, some type of hearing through the board or whatnot. Okay, so you yeah. said the 260, 261, you know, for, um, I'm not sure what that is. Can you tell me? Yeah, as in 261 was... Um, was uh, uh, primary for uh, the youth coming in there, and then they had the uh, nonviolent that came after that was under Prop 57. And uh, 260, 261 was for juveniles, what they have now. And they didn't have that back back when I was coming through the system. Mm-hmm. Had they had, they like, oh, okay, we're getting a real second chance. Right. But, you know, my thing is, um, I don't think no youth should be Objectively subject being treated as an adult. Right. It only happens when you see um, the non New African uh, man and woman. Once they become, once the, I quote unquote, once it become a white issue, and now it's like, okay, we got to change the law. Right. But for years, right. law brothers and sisters, they've been going to jail. And now I think that's when the sister uh, Michelle Alexander was talking about with the mass incarceration. Right. So, so it's just it's like a vicious cycle. Right. And so because so it's like I love how you pointed that out, the environmental racism. Right. A lot of folks don't know what that is. And it's it's so it's become so attached. So a uh, part of our community that we don't even it, it just we don't it it's just. It's, it's our normal. It becomes our normal, right? And we don't realize that that um, molds us and um, our thinking and our, you know, just, just the, just the, just nothing healthy about it, right? Nothing healthy about it. And I love it because I, uh, I am so always talking about diversion groups, like putting more focus and funds into diversion, building up our community and so forth, because I feel like, um, you know, within these lower, these, in the low income communities, these poor communities and so forth, these kids, they, they're only acting off of what they're exposed to. If if what? no one treats them with love, if if they uh, if people treat them as if they're a thug or you know um, write them off or pay no attention, that molds them. They feel that. They feel that. Yeah, I mean, you know, so like one of the things that um, we was trying to combat, and even in prison, was uh, some of the some of the drugism and alcoholism. Mm-hmm. that was uh, inside of the prison cipher. And we know a lot of times when you got elders, some of the brothers that was coming out of the solitary confinement, that was coming out there to a culture shock. So one of the things that we did in Pelican Bay, under the guise of the Grimmick and Hostilities, we put together a self-help group, a peace program. Mm-hmm. And right now, we were, were before I left, we was in due process of developing the curriculum to teach on menocide and genocide, you know, cultural genocide. 
so they can under, begin to understand at the uh, at the, at a young age what does it mean to be objectively subjected to institutionalized racism is just through food, a, a way of living, a lifestyle, a way of thinking. Mm-hmm. So right now we're trying to uh, change the narrative through uh, through music, through arts and culture. We're trying to bring it back to you know let your let your art and your music be a uh, be a teaching factor. Let's get off of that because, like you said earlier, you know it's it's a system where by design where one become not just a product of his environment, but he thinking it's actually he or she thinking it's actually cool to be turned up to be a gangster because that's all they know. Right, right. Oh, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just, you just, you're just speaking to me right now. So um, let's move a little bit forward. So now you're right. inside, right? Um so I'm a, I done federal time myself. Um, I just got home in October and, and I'm always, um, I talk to folks, a lot of the folks that I work with done state time and I do see, I, the difference, I do see some difference in the way they've done their time versus the way that the things that I've been exposed to and how I've done my time and so forth. But it's, I love like how your perception of, you know, of how, you know, the um, the commodity maybe, you know, within the federal system. But honestly, one thing that I feel that I love um, since coming home that I see more on the state side is the more support level of folks who are coming out, who are like, um, just that's just been my experience thus far is like folks that have done state time are just really like about still putting together support groups on this side, like reintegrating back into society. Have you, do you have any opinion or about that? Yeah, I think that was one of the reasons why, um, why immediately tapped in with uh, all of us or none. And then you got other uh, groups like Poor Magazine because they, they've been centralized and bringing together committees to attack the long-term solitary confinement with family and friends, and they're being given feasible uh, resources for those coming home, whether it's re-entry, jobs, whatnot. Mm-hmm. So that's what I was saying earlier. I'm trying to figure out a way how we could bring both the Fed and the state, because I got some brothers that just got out of got out of the, uh, federal prison, and they really didn't know what was going on in the state. For example, when we was doing the mass hunger strike, mm-hmm. or when we been prison protests in 2018 against uh, me in the 13th Amendment. And, you know, I've been trying to bring it to their uh, attention that, hey, you know, this isn't just a, a, a individual thing. This is a collective. Right. So if we could get both sides and find some way to uh, bring, all, bring all our issues together under the guise of uh, not prison reform but abolish. Mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of people are, are saying reform, and, and reform is just another way to keep these policies alive. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like putting a snake in the hole, but it's deeper in the hole, but the snake is still there. Mm-hmm. You know? So, yeah, Min- it is. so Minister King, can you uh, take us back to that moment? Like, um, what did you said? You guys went on a prison strike, a hunger strike. Right. Can you kind of like? I believe in just like. You know, a lot of folks that listen to us, 
Um, they're for the movement. They're curious about the movement, but um, they've never been on the inside. Or like myself, you know, just because you've been to prison doesn't mean you, you know, prison is not black and white. You know, it's, it's different things. It's different politics at every single institution. It's, a, you know, there's a lot of things that are like and things that are different. So what was that like? What can you kind of create a picture, a narrative for us that whole like, why did you? Why did the hunger strike start? Um, what was that like being on hunger strike? Um, the emotional aspect of it, um, going through it, and what was it like at the end of it? Well, basically, um, CDCR had a lot of flagrant policies and procedures set in place. For example, if they found us with books, it was like an Aztec book or a book from Blood and Mind, George Jackson, or anything as such. Or, you know, somebody dropped a 1030 on us. Then they're, they're a 1030 is a what? I'm sorry. 1030 is a um, confidential uh, document that um, some type of confidential informant okay. alleged that you was um, uh, affiliated or associated with some type of prison gang, prison or street gang. But what it was is it was going all the way back. If you go all the way back to the early party, um, the COINTEL counterintelligence party, what they was doing was sabotaging particular groups. And and they knew this is why I keep being highlighted. I'm, I'm trying to highlight um, curriculum. They knew that there were a lot of the elders was teaching individuals to come out of that criminal mind state and into a more revolutionary mind state. And when I say revolutionary, I'm talking about self-change. So when you had these individuals on the yard, on uh, whether it was in San Quentin Adjustment Center, whether it was in, you know, Pelican Bay, High Desert, Folsom, or Tracy, you had particular groups of individuals that was trying to help change brothers and sisters' mind to go out there and be productive in society. So, you know, the government seen them as threat. As security threat groups, which I don't even call it security threat groups. I say stop the guerrillas because, you know, the primary focus is to fight the bill for for brothers and sisters out in the community. So they get sent in the agent provocateurs to sabotage the work that was being done behind the walls because it was a lot of collective action. So what happened then, brothers from the Nation of Islam, brothers there that they seen that was part of the Panther Party or... Uh, you know, others alike, they put him in solitary confinement. Mm. And they put him in long-term solitary confinement. I'm talking about, you had some of my brothers that was in long-term solitary confinement for 25, 30 years. And, for example, Hugo Pinnell, he was there for a long time. You know, okay. do. Can I ask you a question real quick? So, um, what does solitary confinement look like, feel like, versus, like, what is what is that? Just for folks that don't know. <laughs> So if you're in solitary confinement, you're, in, you're, pre, you're pretty much stuck in the cell inside of a cage for 23 hours mm-hmm. a day. Mm-hmm. You come out for a shower, maybe recreation for uh, for for one hour. Mm-hmm. And um, in Pelican Bay, they didn't have no windows. Mm-hmm. There was no windows. You come, they open your back, and, and you go out there. You do what you do, and then you come back in. So, what does that do to someone's people, mind? Well, the mind it was like you know, it was pretty much like torture, mm-hmm. unless you were strong. You know, you had a lot of in, individuals that debrief. It was a thing called, uh, you know, 
either debrief or die. Mm. You know? So a lot of brothers that, that were strong, that were solid, they leaned on each other for hope. Oof. And um then you had those that, you know, I can't I can't sit here and um go into the next individual mind state. They they were they some people became broken back there. Mm-hmm. Some people it was to the point where individuals putting feces on their body and they lost their mind. Mm-hmm. And torture don't come just on the physical aspect. It may come where, okay, somebody took your mail or somebody mm-hmm. tampered with your food or talked to you crazy. Right. So it was torturous back there, and that was part of the menocide, the culture genocide that we was talking about. I was saying stipulating earlier right. how, right. you know, they want to brainwash and censor individuals. They didn't want you to believe that you could come up out of here. So they saying, okay, if you if you don't debrief, then you're going to be here forever. So that's when... Um, so if you, what does debriefing mean? Debrief mean like uh, to step down and, you know, some gang members say they hanging up their flag and they quit. But some, you know, they put their flag on the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the wall and they still looking at it. They still active. But debriefing in, 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 in every aspect basically means... Um, you know, to give up all the information and become a confidential informant. For them, okay, and for the for the prison, right, okay. But for the uh, for the officials, mm-hmm. and you know, it it was real cruel in there. You know, you had the Green Wall. You know, the Green Wall was like um, developed in Tracy, and in um, um, in uh, Tracy Prison, mm-hmm. Sacramento Folsom. But the majority of them is in Salinas Valley. And um, that was cruel. That was playing with mail. That sabotaged individuals. They'll put false snitch jackets on individuals. And then you had reactionaries actually biting into it. So when they take leaders, the leadership off the yard, the people, men of influence, that was doing things peacefully, that was trying to uh, maintain uh, anti-hostilities, they put replaced them with agent provocateurs, individuals that really didn't have the um, the insight or the political structure the, to maintain peace or maintain structure on the yard among all racial groups. Mm-hmm. So that's when you start seeing a lot of riots. You know, again, like I, I mentioned, um, uh, uh, issue with Hugo Pinnell. You know, when the thing happened in Folsom, a lot of people don't know that. You had plenty of Asian provocateurs that were trying to sabotage the agreement and hostilities. So for right now, I don't know if you want to talk about the subject, what's going on right now, how they integrating S&Y inmates with general population inmates. Well, they're doing that intentionally because of Prop 57. So you're talking about the, uh, the conversion of the yards? Yeah, the conversion of the yard is mm-hmm. kind of, you know, it's kind of crazy because... Um, you got a group of programs that say they over 50. Mm-hmm. So what we were saying is you have individuals coming out of solitary confinement is objectively subjected to a culture shock. Mm-hmm. So what would be righteous is to put those individuals that want to program, program yards. Mm-hmm. And you'll put those individuals on the program yard so they can prepare to go home. They've been down 30 and 40 years versus you would take an individual who debriefed or head out on a, a, another yard or 
whatever his or her politics may be, they'll put them on the general population. And it's not that these individuals want to clash. It's the uh, conservative effort that mm-hmm. CDC, the California State Agents, working under the color of law, mm-hmm. may be doing. Their, their conservative efforts to sabotage the people that's going to go home under Prophecy 7 or SB 260 or any other law that may have just came in play. Because if you get more individuals, get 115, and then now, okay, that's, that's less individuals going home through the board. Right. So, so basically they're now. causing corrupt, they're, they're causing confusion. So this is just a their strategic malice way of um, keeping you guys down. Is that what you say? So the... You, so the conversion of the yards is is it, we we've been t- we've been covering that for the last two three episodes. So in your opinion, that it, it is causing havoc havoc and within the system. Yeah, I mean because you got a lot of reactionaries on the yard. They don't, some people don't know how to uh, organize behind it. Where you say, okay, well you putting these guys on the yard, we're going to come into a class action lawsuit with those individuals mm-hmm. because you you put them in foreseeable harm. And why are they? What's their? I'm sorry. What? Why are they saying that their purpose? Like, what's their made up? Whatever their purpose of doing this? Well, uh, I think Scott Kern and and some of the other uh, officials are saying, well, you know, if you want to go home, you're going to give up the politics, and you know, uh, they're pitching this new CDCR, but there's no rehabilitation under the guy to that because when you put people in foreseeable harm, how could you program or how could you engage in top of any type of self-change in a hostile environment? And right, right. they're saying because on one side, on the prisoner side, there's politics. It's just, you know, there's rules. It, you know, it's like being at home having a child. You're going to have rules in your house. So to keep order, there's going to be rules forever. But then on one side, you got the administration saying, well, no, we're going to end those rules. But ending those rules means you're bringing back hostility. So that's what I mean by they're sabotaging the agreement to end hostility. Because, you know, no doubt you're going to have different cultures, different philosophy, different ideology. Until we find common ground, and common ground will be peace, promoting peace as a new cool per se. But if we if we're not able to uh work as a collective among ourselves, but you got the administration playing our politics and then you had to look at it, okay, what is what's behind that? So, you know, a lot of a lot of officers that feel that, you know, they don't wanna uh they don't wanna be a part of it, they've been transferring off of those yards. And then you got administrations where, where administrative in, individuals where we do 602s. I did a 602 before I left a class, uh, a 602 with, with several individuals just to show. And what's a 602? A 602 is an uh, inmate appeal. Mm-hmm. And that's the um, due process you take from the first level, second level, and the third level, which third level will be in Sacramento. And you bring it to them, you know, whatever your claim may be, right. before you take it to a habeas corpus or uh, 1983. 1983 is a civil suit. So it's, it's your complaint. Okay. Yeah, okay. 
Um, Mr. King, I really, so this is so much. Yeah, we definitely going to have to have another interview. Um, we're going to take a short music break. And when we come back, um, if possible, I would like for you to just tell like your experience of being a part of Hunger Strike. But more importantly, I would love to hear about the things that you have going on right now and the different support that you need. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. of my heart But I'm still alive Still looking for the light In the endless pool on the other side It's a wild, wild west I'm doing my best We are back at KPOO San Francisco. This is Prison Focus. That was Sade, Soldier of Love. We have Minister King on the line who's been home for, what, less than two weeks, Minister King? Yeah, about a week and a half. Woo! And he is just, I mean, super dope brother, super, I mean, just, I mean... You are just giving me so many, like, just food for thought, and um, I just appreciate you just coming and taking the time to do this interview and um, telling us in such an insightful, deep way of the things that's going on currently back um, as of right now in the system and um, just your experience on, you know, your childhood. That's, you know, that's not easy to um, share yourself like that, and I just thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, you know, my my life is pretty much an open book. I don't really have nothing to hide because, you know, we're in the information age anyway. But 
I just wanted to say regarding you, I asked me earlier regarding getting back to the hunger strike. Mm-hmm. It was a touching moment. It was also a historic moment for me because, uh, again, in 2011, what happened was um, they had, that's when I first went to uh, ASU, short-term, what they call short-term restricted housing. Mm-hmm. And some of the brothers had spilled over from um, Corcoran. I was in Corcoran State Prison. And, um, that was telling us, hey, you know, we're about to go back into another hunger strike, and we're going to need some delegates over here in ASU. I was like, okay, what it do? You know, what, what should we do? So we put down the platform of the demands for ASU because a lot of voices wasn't being heard just in ASU. So when we did it, we sent it to uh, we sent our demand to Mary Radcliffe at San Francisco Bayview, and um. So they published them, and we got a lot of uh, backlash behind submitting our demands because they tried to separate, uh, try to conquer and divide and say, okay, where well, these issues on uh, uh, correlated to the fire core demands. And we're like, hold on. Anybody that's in solitary confinement, all our issues is the same because you go from a shoe to the shoe. So... I had wrote an article because one of the brothers died, uh, uh, one of the uh, Southerners from um, Los Angeles mm. had died during the hunger strike, and his name was Christian Gomez. Mm. And when he died, it, 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 it caught on fire, Democracy Now! talked about it, everybody talked about it. So I, got, I, I was subjected, subjected to a campaign harassment, and... The IGI, ISU came harassing, okay, you wrote this article. The article at the time was called This Isn't the Soft Cage, the editor of San Francisco Bayview. And from there, they were like, okay, we're going to validate you, you know, your affiliation. Your... And so I just looked at it as rhetoric because now that you're trying to invoke fear into me, now I'm going to be even more braver. Because I don't, I'm already in prison. The biggest 115, biggest write-up I got was when the DA gave me my time. It served me my sentence. Mm-hmm. That was the biggest one, 115 I got. So now all you did was woke up some to the point where I got to investigate and look deep before I leak more. And what I seen was they had individuals just sitting there waiting for their DRBs. They had individuals, and, and, and we talking about just to go to board to figure out, okay, we're going to put you next. What is your affiliation? And a lot of it was false allegations. Mm-hmm. But that was in 2011. So then prison folk is, um, uh, news, news and letters. Uh, I think it was, uh, ARC. It was several organizations reached out. And they came to see us, and it was like, okay, what's going on? So we start. That's when we all start centralizing and run uh, short-term restricted housing to the shoe. Everybody came together, and some of the delegates that was in um, Corcoran, we all met up, and that's when the mediation team start talking. When they start getting more involved, and then in 2013, July 8th, 2013, that's when it went big. It was over 30,000. Uh, prisoners and as well as their family, they got involved. Wow. When I knew, okay, everything that we have now, you can see uh, United Cage Brothers Demands, 
five core demands the editor San Francisco Baby or a uh, prison focus mm-hmm. or a poor magazine and you can see that a lot of the things we have now I want to give credit to the pr- to the prison strike and that's why I'm highlighting it mm-hmm. whether it's family visits whether it's pell grants that came from the prison strike right and a lot of things is going on now me and the 13th amendment that came from the prison strike. So I just say that to say that brothers and sisters is incarcerated if they realize how powerful they are through the course of unity, mm-hmm. pulling their resources together as a collective, and then they can get about real change. And, and, and you know, change can just start from one, one, one flame. Right. And next thing you know, it's a fire. And right now, you know, I'm out here for the brothers and sisters uh, incarcerated. Whether you're in Terre Haute in, in, in August, they're going to have a, a, another uh, forum about brothers and sisters behind the walls. And um, some of me and my brother, we're going to go out there, and I'm going to give a speech as a delegate for the California, on behalf of the California state prisoners. So that's pretty much where I'm at right now. Man. Minister King, you're just so inspirational. Just just thank you. Like, truly, you know, um, there's uh, brothers right now that are behind the walls that um, can hear this broadcast. And um, it's just truly motivating and inspiring. What I always used to say inside is, like, I used to tell my friends and just anyone that will listen that it's just so important what I would say, um, express it, is that to not become a victim of the system meaning like do not succumb to what they want us to be how they want us to act and you know these things are strategic they're not you know um oftentimes the choices and decisions that are being made are not to you know prison is supposedly i mean it's it's supposed to be for rehabilitation right and um me me personally that just wasn't the case so, Minister King, what are some things now that you're doing? You've been home for less than two weeks. For one, what does that feel like? Well, I mean, it's, it's different. I come home to a culture shock, and I'm trying to, you know, migrate in back with society and, you know, uh, rebuild a relationship with my family and friends. But um, overall, I'm, I'm I'm just happy, you know. It's, mm-hmm. it's surreal because it's like walking to the Berkeley Arena or, going to San Francisco or going to Sacramento to help some of the people out there. Or it's just surreal, and it's like, hmm, it's everything I dreamed of. You know, some people dream of being a, a superstar or whatnot, but I dream of just walking the dog. Whoa. Wow, that's deep. You know, I dream of just drinking some water or finding a female companion or, you know, going to go eat lunch. Right. You know, I can't wait to give me a good job and turn it into a career and take go from a career and turn it into a conglomerate. What's I your dream job? To, what would you like to do? Well, you know, I want to go uh, go back to school to get into mediation. Uh-huh. And hopefully I could take that and attach it and wake up the agreement then I still be inside and out again mm-hmm. and try to go to the, uh, get involved with the UN. Mm-hmm. You know, so those are some of the things I want to do. And also, again, I was telling you about Cage. That's what me, some of my brothers, we're going to try to uh, open Cage Universal as a, uh, a re-entry center. Okay, so 
Okay, so tell me more about Cage. This is this is your one of your the current things that you're working on. Yeah, Cage is um again it's Kings Queens it's genocidal environments, and we're gonna be doing a lot of environment environmental work for right now. Me and my brother Sean Ramsey, um, we're working on a, a documentary about homelessness in America, and we're starting off in Oakland, mm-hmm. and we have a trailer. Basically, we we getting all the entertainers involved, those that say, you know, they're from this area or they be trying to hold them accountable now. And it's time to man up, you know. And we want to say uh, there's been a lot of gentrification going on, in here, particularly here in Oakland. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's crazy because I come home and I'm seeing what I'm seeing, and I didn't, I didn't see this 18 years ago. Mm-hmm. I got brothers and sisters that own black businesses. Matter of fact, my father owned a black business or a store in in, um, in East Oakland. Mm-hmm. A lot of these businesses have been replaced by other individuals. Some people are color and some not. But it's, it's disturbing to see people homeless out here in America. Mm-hmm. And it makes me go all the way back to um, Malcolm X said, America is prison. Because now we objectively subjected to these borders and these flagrant policies is just putting people out here. And when they do go out and seek help, they're subjected to going into a dog shed. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's feasible. These tough sheds don't have basic necessities. So, yeah, we're doing a um, documentary on it. We're going to be doing a soundtrack, inviting other artists to get on our soundtrack. We're also raising a fundraiser right now for it. So, you know, that's just something I'm looking at. And then, again, I want to get into some environmental work, start some books, study. A lot of these young brothers don't read nowadays. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we want to start some book uh, study groups and book clubs and get the youngsters to read and start talking about some of these issues and dealing with the temperament that's going on in society. Instead of talking about it, it's time for solutions for the pollution. Solutions for the pollution. Ooh, ooh, that's good. Um, how can people, if they want to support you, how what can they do? Like, what type of support are you needing or wanting? Uh, basically, we we looking for people to come out. Um, they can contact me through either through uh, Mary Ratcliffe, editor at San Francisco Bayview, mm-hmm. or 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 you guys um, through Dorsey Nunn and uh, all of us and Nunn because I'm gonna be active here. So the type of support we're looking for in general is we're trying to establish um, support for this trailer, uh, this homeless trailer, because we want to do one in Oakland, Sacramento, Los Angeles, and then um, maybe in Chicago somewhere. Uh, we're looking for artists. We're looking for people This this um, Internet savvy. We want to make T-shirts, re-entry. You know, basic basic things. We we're not really looking for money and stuff like that. We're just looking for people to get involved, and if they have an organization, then we can link up and, and get involved with them and, and infuse the work. If we share the same mission statement, because this, right now it's like we've been hearing a lot of people talk about it, and we just want to get active. That's you know, we got a plan of action. You can see um, decoration of United Cage Brothers. At Poor Magazine, January twenty first, two thousand sixteen, see our whole platform, and and we're gonna have something else coming up 
I'm kind of like, I, you kind of got me on the, uh, that's why I was telling you earlier about the interview. I was trying to get, um, or, uh, or, or, uh, um, brother. Yeah, I was trying to get our brother involved because he got a, he got a few more things that he wanted to force the websites and whatnot. He could have told you about, but we could do that. Oh, the trust. One. Yeah, we're, we, we definitely would love to have you back, Minister King, because, um, you're very insightful and I just have more questions. And unfortunately, like, I mean, we are down to like the last three minutes. And yeah, as you're talking, I'm sitting here reading this thing that says um, African-Americans made up 50 percent of the homeless population, despite um, comprising just 11 percent of the county's total population. Hashtag Oakland. And so that's just, um, yeah, you're talking about it's it's time for resolution. We got to be a doer, folks. We need to get involved. So you heard it right here. Minister King, he has some great innovative um, things that are being done, and he needs your support. We need your support. Um, you heard that he you can um, – any pretty much it sounds like – you can um, contact him through All of Us or None. You can contact me, and I will get in contact with him. Um, that's London, L-O-N-D-O-N, at prisonerswithchildren.org. Um, anybody through All of Us or None, Dorsey Nunn, and uh, Prison Focus, right? Yes. Or yeah. as well as uh, editor of San Francisco Bayview. Another thing yes, I want to tell Mary, the brothers yes. I want to tell the brothers and sisters behind the wall, we need you to start writing in and supporting Bayview a little more, whether it's telling your families, you know, uh, Bayview has been a voice mm -hmm. for the prisoners, and we're looking for more support. So pretty soon we're going to be, a do, be able to do a fundraiser for Bayview. But like the brothers and sisters write in, I'm going to be going there and doing a lot of volunteer work, um, fundraising for them. And if you get I'll read some of you guys' letters. And um, I respond, you know, send you pictures. We got a, a magazine called All Bay Magazine, and we're going to be trying to uh, distribute that throughout the prison system. It's a lot of good things coming up for the brothers and sisters behind the wall, and I just want them to know that uh, we're here. Mm. We have arrived. Well, Minister King, I'm sure that I'm not just speaking for myself, that I'm speaking for many folks that um, I just appreciate you. And I look forward to joining your efforts and to being a part of the solution. Okay, I highly appreciate it, sister. You all have a, a blessed day. You stay um, focused and, and positive on your journey. All power to the people. All power to the people. Talk to you later, Minister King. Okay, well. Bye. All right, folks, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Prison Focus. I am London, L-O-N-D-O-N at prisonerswithchildren.org. Please contact me if you have any requests for future shows, um, if you need any um, information on any of our guests. I would love to provide that for you. And, of course, if you want to get more information on ACA6 and all the wonderful things that we have going on, we would love to provide that information for you. Um, we have some great things, great just movements that we've been doing with ACA6. We got some resolu resolutions that just passed in Los Angeles, and we will be back in Sacramento again um, this upcoming month. So again, just give me a call or shoot me an email, and I'll get all that information to you. Power to the people.
your 